going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Well, happy throne speech day, everyone. In case you haven't heard, there's a whole lot of happening going on in the legislature. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Lois Mitchell addressing the crowd on hand in the legislature right now. Going through, Rob rightly personified it as, it's pretty much election talk. It's, here's here's what we stand for. You're next, Mr. Kenny. We're going to talk a lot about this over the course of the show today. We're gonna I'm going to dissect some of the comments as Rob alluded to. Uh, Premier Rachel Notley does, and this is, I have to laugh. Some of the commentary around it is, oh, what's with this pomp and circumstance? And all. This has been going on for ages. It goes beyond political parties, beyond political affiliations. So don't get all uptight about it just because it's the NDP this time around. So let's get that out of the way right now. That being said, Premier Notley holding an embargoed news conference uh, late this morning. And so I'll play you some of the highlights of that right off the hop. We'll also uh, get a little bit more reaction from right in Edmonton with Global News reporter Tom Vernon after 4 o'clock to see uh, what the tone in the room is like and and also dive into the, the cloud hanging over top of this throne speech. And that is everything that has been happening over the last 48 to 72 hours surrounding the UCP as well. And I know there's been a lot of talk about that, but we'll get into that a little bit more. And I want to reset some of the conversation that Jason Kenney had with Danielle Smith and Ryan Jesperson this morning in case you weren't able to listen live, just to give you a sense of where he stands following a weekend that was not very kind to the UCP in terms of just overall perspective. Uh, perspective i guess on the party especially from for those who are going is this as clean as we think it is hard to say a lot of people questioning okay the rcmp are involved and this all dives back into a big question that we'll dive into a little bit later on this hour is are we going to get an election call in the next couple of days or will the ndp wait until the very last minute in hopes that there is a silver bullet that strikes the UCP right in the heart. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. I'm going to get away from it as well throughout the course of the show as well. Uh, Over the weekend, STARS unveiling a new helicopter that they are going to be adding to the fleet. It's one of eventually five they would like to bring in because the old fleet is 30-some-odd years old now. Scott Young from STARS will join us after 4.30 to dive into. uh, He's a pilot, but he is also part of the executive there uh, to Give us a little bit of an idea as to how needed these new choppers are and what the hope is over the next little while in terms of adding to the technology that is inside those helicopters. A great article penned by Annie McInnes, the executive director of the Kensington Revitalization uh, Business Revitalization Zone, uh, in the paper this morning surrounding the idea of shopping local. We'll chat with Annie after 5 o'clock about her article, but more about how important businesses are feeling like, hey, you know what, if you've got that extra 5 bucks and you're thinking of going out and spending it anyways, why not do it local versus going elsewhere? She's not trying to demonize the idea of online shopping or the idea of going to the big boxes, but certainly wouldn't hurt, especially in these tough times, is maybe thanking some of our local vendors by actually going and supporting them instead of letting them go 
and have their carcasses rotting a little bit later on. So we'll dive into that with Annie in, in after 5 o'clock. And after 5.30, uh, getting a little bit of an idea now as to what our Olympic and Paralympic athletes will be going through when it comes to concussion protocols. We'll chat with Dr. Brian Benson of the Canadian Sport Institute and the Benson Concussion Institute about what the new guidelines are going to look like for those athletes because it's certainly a very topical discussion, but also what he hopes this will mean for younger athletes and those grassroots organizations, the Hockey Calgary's of the world or the figure skating organizations. What do you? What does he want to see them do to prepare our younger athletes as they strive to become those world-class athletes? We'll chat with Dr. Benson after 5.30 on that. But let us continue our discussion surrounding today's throne speech. That is next here on Calgary Today. All right, so a lot of talk about throne speech today. We had all the leaders on earlier today with Danielle and Ryan as part of our special uh, pre, I would call this uh, pre-election coverage, because let's face it, from here until whenever the writ is dropped, we're essentially in election mode. And as I read through the throne speech, which we get embargoed copies of, I went, this reads a lot like what Premier Notley would be saying at, oh, I don't know, a rally in front of all of her um, compadres in Edmonton, which she did over the weekend. Now, again, I'm going to say this is this happens every time we get into an election year. The throne, the speech from the throne always gets into partisan politics. And this is why we are the best. This is what we aim to be. And I think that there's an element of we should do that. We should see a government going forward saying, hey, this is what the next year is going to be. And tops on the list is this thing called Bill 1. And if the spring sitting does continue, which I have a feeling it's going to, it's a promise aimed at health care. It's expected to be the key issue, one of the key issues heading into the election. And with Bill 1, it's essentially the idea of making sure that private health care doesn't trump uh, public health care. So a private provider could not dive into what public health does. Again, as Rob mentioned, as I mentioned off the top, Premier Rachel Notley holding a news conference, which was embargoed until after Lois Mitchell began speaking. And so now we can play some of that audio for you to give you a sense of where the government is coming from with this throne speech. And the first set, of, I won't give you the, the preamble before because it's all scripted. The best stuff always comes out of the question and answers. And the first question was all about bill number one. And here's Premier Rachel Notley's answer. I can a little bit, but uh, we will be uh, giving more information in the days to come. But absolutely, what we are going to do is ensure that uh, more rep- reproductive health services are available in more parts of the province. And we will also be uh, uh, investing to uh, uh, accelerate our work to reduce wait times uh, in certain areas. We have been successful in reducing wait times in certain areas. We've also sort of kept it stable and not they haven't grown too much. But we know we have to do more and we know that we don't have good marks in all fronts. And so uh, we will be investing uh, specifically in targeted areas to bring down wait times. Is that specifically about the women's services, about abortion? No, no, no. We're talking just generally. 
generally wait times. Okay, and the other thing you have in there, one of the other things was strengthening democracy. What is still left to do on that front? Well, basically what we want to do, because we've already seen uh, uh, loopholes, I think it's fair to say, or at least what we think maybe are loopholes, and where we would end up going with that is... uh, um, uh, after the election, we would uh, establish an all-party committee to review uh, the Elections Act uh, with a focus to, uh, as far as we're concerned, identifying the loopholes where people have been able to drive through them and allow big money back into politics. Um, it's always a, a difficult uh, challenge because we we have to look at the Constitution and make sure that we, we operate within that regime. But if there are ways for us to tighten this up, then we will. And uh, and we would, of course, want to see all all parties involved in that process. So uh, we've made tremendous progress in Alberta, uh, but you know uh, we're pretty much the first in the country to have gone as far as we have. And uh, if we need to do better, then uh, I think it's a good good thing that uh, for us to commit to doing. Premier, along with what uh, Emma was noted, uh, there's also promise for something more on daycare in your speech. Now, there's obviously a large question as to whether or not you're actually going forward with a spring session. Some people this evening might be looking at that and seeing help is on its way, but it's unclear to them if you're actually going to go forward with this. So can you actually promise them that you're going to do something and this isn't just a case of Lucy pulling back the football at the last moment? Uh, It is absolutely not Lucy pulling back the football. You know, and and I'll say to you, uh, I think there's very little that our government's done that's ever been that. Uh, and when we put something on the table, we've delivered. Um, now, obviously, uh, the the timing of the budget and the timing of the election are still things that have to be factored in, but uh, I uh, can commit to you that you will see from us a very detailed um, proposal um, on significantly expanding affordable childcare for all families across this province. Sorry, just to be a pest. You said a proposal. Are you actually going to pass it? Uh, again, uh, you're going to see that we're, we're talking about it in the throne speech and, and the timing of, of passing the budget that includes the provisions and the, the issue of the election. Obviously, uh, we'll have more to say about that. Yeah, I mean, that's the big elephant in the room is are we going to see an election call today? We going to see an election call post-Easter? Here's the... the uh, I'm not saying that governments decide on elections based off of holidays, but at the same time, do you want to have a campaign lingering before or after Easter? This is a five day, four day weekend for some. And you kind of miss out on some of your big headlines if you don't have something going on during those four or five days. So the premier was asked a few different times, and here's one of the answers surrounding, hey, are we going to get an election call sooner rather than later, maybe? Okay. No, well, uh, I'm sorry. We're just going to continue playing this ridiculous game, Don. Uh, but uh, what I will say is that uh, it's a, Bill 1 is a, is a very important bill, uh, and uh, it, it will uh, go some way to um, protecting um, our um, health care system from schemes that allow people with um, a good deal of money in their pocket to use various strategies to buy their way to the front of the line. 
Uh, that is, uh, and it's, it's, it's a strategy and a, uh, that has been used in BC in order to secure that outcome, that the wealthy get to the front of the line faster. Uh, the very clinic that does that uh, in BC has been very um, uh, positively described and endorsed uh, by my opponent in the next election, Mr. Kenny. And I would say that uh, that kind of strategy is absolutely the opposite of what we need in Alberta because going back to my original theme, uh, we need an Alberta that works for everybody. Uh, we don't need uh, two Albertas. So I guess the question then becomes, I mean, the province, it's got to be business as usual. It's not like you shut down government because there's a possible election coming. But this government has seven bills and one really big one in Bill 1 that I wouldn't be shocked if they'd want to see a session roll through only because they want to make sure some of these things are in place. Now, could a UCP government repeal those bills? Sure, but what do the optics look like when they do something like that? So something to keep in mind there. Another key question that was asked during this that I found the answer to be kind of fascinating was the question about the carbon tax and how that was going to be changing heading into this year? Well, as we've said all along, um, we are not going to uh, cooperate, shall we say, uh, with the federal government on uh, the 40 or the 50 uh, while Trans Mountain Pipeline is um, in... is. Uh, you know, currently uh, unapproved. Uh, we've also, however, said that uh, should we get that back on track, uh, we would be prepared to move forward. Um, and uh, I think at the, in the long term, that's something uh, that that we should be doing because we need to uh, tackle climate change. It's a real impressing issue. But we're not going to do it while we're in this ridiculous situation of having to curtail our production uh, because we don't have a way to move our product to market uh, because of, as a result of successive federal government's failure to act while this slow-moving car crash has been moving toward the province's economy and Canada's economy over a decade. So we need to get that fixed. So Lieutenant Governor Lois Mitchell continues to speak to the legislature, and I understand that she's right getting close to her conclusions. So after the break, we're going to play you that, because if there's anything surprise that's going to come out of it, like, oh, I don't know, an election call, a writ being dropped, that would be the place to do it. So we'll get to that in just a second, and we'll I'll get to some of your texts as well, because I want to address a couple of things here on Throne Speech Day 2019. I don't know if that's a day, but let's, let's call it that. This is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. So you heard some of the throne speech from uh, Lieutenant Governor Lois Mitchell just a short time ago as she went through a lot of what the NDP government thinks are its victories and kind of outlined a little bit of what's to come heading into 2019 and heading into the spring election and joining us for a little bit more uh, in terms of a review of the situation. We're joined by Global's legislature reporter Tom Vernon. Tom, thanks so much for the time this afternoon. I know you're a busy guy. Hey, thanks for having me. If I sound winded, it's because I'm on the move right now. I'm walking. So I apologize to your listeners. Not a problem at all. shape I'm in. <laughs> uh, so you got to stop eating all the grub up there. That's the key. Uh, what did you take away first and foremost from the throne speech today? Yeah, it's amazing. Usually these uh, speeches are a little more forward looking. You don't usually get a lot of details, but it's about a legislative agenda. This one was straight up a campaign speech, really. Uh, it, it really created a divide between what the NDP stand for and what the United Conservatives, what they say, what the NDP says they stand for, and who's out to protect public services and who's out for the wealthy. So we heard 
uh, you know, four years of what the NDP has done, uh, talked about building schools, uh, affordable child care, stuff like that, diversifying the economy, and then the uh, accusations that the UCP are going to turn back the clock on all that and uh, look out for the wealthy, look out for the elite. We, I mean, we even heard about the Sky Palace in this speech, so mm. it was... Uh, it was a very political, very campaign-oriented speech. Yeah, and this is a different one in the sense of this is the first re-election campaign for the mm-hmm. NDP because we had the 40-plus years of PC government. What was the atmosphere in the room like? You were sitting in there listening to Lois Mitchell. What did they, was, there, was there much in the way of uh, antics, or was it pretty well-behaved? Uh, they're usually pretty well behaved. Full disclosure, I was sitting in my office furiously typing away and doing radio hits, so I wasn't <laughs> in the room specifically. I was pulled in many different directions, but I mean, there's not usually a lot of uproar and hoots and haws uh, yes. during these speeches. Uh, you know, they, they sit and they listen to it, and I'm sure on the UCP side, we saw some, uh, I'm sure there were some eye rolls and some, oh yeah, okay, here we go. But uh, yeah, for the most part, in the house, well behaved, um, and yeah, they and the House is adjourned for the day, and they say they'll be back tomorrow. So here we go. I was going to say is that seems to be even listening to Rachel Notley's uh, pre-throne speech discussion was there seems to be uh, a bit of an attitude of hey we're going to keep going business as usual here, and Bill One seemed to be their their big focal point at least for right now. Yeah, I mean the big question of the day really is okay. Here's the throne speech, but when's the election? And mm-hmm. I mean when the Premier stepped out to talk, the first thing she says is. Okay, I know why everybody wants to know, but it's soon, not yet, but soon. So uh, they've, they've tabled Bill 1. We'll see if it gets debated and passed. Um, there's, you know, there's some other stuff on the legislative agenda uh, as well. You know, whether that ever sees the light of day, we don't know. I mean, we asked her, what's today about? That's the throne speech. What's tomorrow about? I'll ask me tomorrow, right? Yeah. So <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll see if it's an election tomorrow. I'll show up to the building and... And, uh, well, I'll, either, either I'll cover Bill 1, I suppose, or I'll be talking to you tomorrow afternoon about... You know, election day is such and such. So. Well, and, and it's fascinating that way is uh, one of the other reporters or somebody tweeted over the weekend about how there are actually seven big bills that are up for discussion that the NDP mm-hmm. has planned. So they are looking at it as it's business as usual for right yeah. now, or at least giving off that impression. Yeah, I mean, so we look, I looked at the legislative agenda. There's leave to introduce uh, bills about um, appropriations, right? So interim supply, so the government can be funded through an election campaign. We'll see if that means, you know, no budget this session, or maybe it's just, you know, until the end of April or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, there's a legislation dealing with um, municipal tendencies around uh, mobile home parks. There's a lot of concerns around there. And then a couple of other ones that weren't, weren't very specific in what they're about. So there is an agenda. We'll see if they get introduced or if it's just... Uh, no, we put those out there to throw people off the scent. There's been obviously this little cloud of confusion slash a little bit of uh, wonderment, I think, around the legislature surrounding uh, the latest revelations around the UCP. And I'm wondering, what's the feeling in the room or what are people talking about at the legislature when it comes to what came out over the weekend? Yeah, and I'm curious the, the difference between, you know, what we talk about here at the legislature and in the AD ledge world and what Albertans are talking about. Obviously, that's the big story of the day. I mean, the premier was asked about it instead of her throne speech. You know, what do you make of all these accusations? And I mean, she was using it as campaign posturing. You know, she says, look, you know, my government, we've been focused on Albertans and we've been focused on making things better for Albertans. Whereas Jason Kenney, she says, has been focused on making things great for Jason Kenney. So, I mean, it's being used as a political wedge. Jason Kenney is doing all he can to distance himself from it. Uh, we'll see if it picks up with everyday Albertans or if it's just, 
you know, among those of us that are uh, in, in the dome, <laughs> under the dome, that talk about this. <laughs> well, and that's the fascinating part is that you hear two different sides to that. Is you've got the one side saying, "Hey, this is a nothing burger," as, as was quote. That's a quote from somebody who tweeted at me over the weekend saying that there's nothing to see here. Move on. And then you have those who are saying, "Listen, there's more to this, and there might be even more to it uh, in the days and weeks ahead because there is an investigation, so, or there there may be an investigation into it." Right. So it, there is that that curious uh, point mm-hmm. counterpoint to it all. Yeah, and then how does the NDP handle that, right? Do they jump now while it's all headlines, or do they wait for it to percolate some more and risk, you know, it's kind of it getting cleared and being forgotten about as we head into a spring election campaign? So a lot of play here, um, and, you know, there's, uh, you know, politics is, you know, not just about ruling and making legislation, it's all about tactics and finding out the best way to win, right? So it's uh, interesting times for sure in this building. Absolutely. You're one of the busiest guys in show business right now, Tom, so I'll let you get back to putting together your stuff for the TV news. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Thanks for having me. Tom Vernon, Global News Legislature reporter, as he gives us a little bit of insight into what what, it, what was said, what the focus seems to be. Here's the, the points in my head right now around an election call is there's a part of me that says the Notley government's going to wait until the last possible moment. I'm thinking after Easter, allowed the election call to be made for, say, May 24th. I don't know if that's the proper day or not. Let me let me bring up a quick calendar here. Um, but that'd be the let's say it's the twentieth of May, as an example. Could you do it or May May twenty seventh even? And then you don't have to. You can do it right after the Easter long weekend. Everything all plays out that way. That also allows for the NDP to maybe get a little bit more clarity on what's going on with the UCP. On the flip side, that gives the UCP enough of an op- opportunity to maybe clear their name and all of that has been going on over the last little while and may give them a little bit of a of a hand up. Or as Tom alluded to, do you call the election tomorrow and make sure that you uh, you strike while the iron is hot and there is that weird confusion going around in terms of what is going on with the UCP right now? We all know where everybody stands on the issues, but the question becomes, is the UCP under Jason Kenney trustworthy given what has transpired and what is being alleged here? And even beyond that, there, there was a fascinating text that I received during the, the last half hour or so where it was essentially, I'll vote for Jason Kenney even if he has to rule this province from prison. Is that the road we're going to, like that, that's how diehard we are for change? I don't know. All right, turning the pages, we uh, are just after 441 on our Monday drive home. And uh, one of the stories over the weekend that caught my eye was uh, the introduction of a new helicopter for the Stars Air Ambulance Fleet. Now, I understand there's a provincial funding announcement that was attached to it. And so there's obviously there going to be that skepticism surrounding, okay, it's another pre-election promise, yada, yada, yada. That being said, it is still fascinating to read how these ambulances, these air ambulances have been up in the air for as long as they have and haven't been given the upgrades. So to learn more about this, we bring in Scott Young, the Vice President, Operational and Strategic Initiative with STARS. He's also a pilot with STARS. And uh, Scott, thanks so much for joining us uh, this afternoon. Well, thank you very much. 
when you look at the new helicopter, what does it mean to STARS to have that in operation potentially by the spring? Uh, it's very exciting. Uh, it's something we've been working on for over six years, understanding that our current fleet, although it's been an amazing uh, aircraft for us for the last 33 years, uh, we do know it's getting old. Uh, and uh, looking at the new aircraft, it's uh, it's similar to our current uh, aircraft, but it is um, got the most current technology, and it will be, uh, I think, the best platform out there in which we can uh, take care of our sickest patients. I assume that looking at the technology of something that's 33 years old be no different than looking at the technology inside uh, your passenger vehicle, in a sense. And so getting that upgrade is probably something that uh, is much needed in today's day and age of technology. It really is. Um, the the current aircraft, we, we've invested in it uh, for many years, uh, but it is at the point where putting more money into it, just like your, your family vehicle, uh, just doesn't make sense anymore. Parts are hard to find. Uh, the aircraft are taking longer to, to fix. Uh, so to stay operational 24 hours a day, seven days a week for uh, critical patients, uh, this new aircraft will give us a high degree of reliability, but it also brings the newest safety features. So um, technology to uh, avoid uh, obstacles, uh, flying in the mountains. Um, some of our more challenging missions involve flying into uh, unprepared areas that we've never been to before in the middle of the night. Uh, we've got our night vision goggles that help us with that, but the technology in the aircraft will uh, will add to the level of safety um, that we uh, have enjoyed uh, with our current aircraft. From a patient's perspective, what could potentially change? Or what would be different if they were to be in it in the new one? Well, honestly, the level of care that our um, clinical team brings is the biggest differentiator for us. And fortunately for the patient, that is not changing. It's the same crew, uh, the same medical equipment, but it's a new space for them. So they've got a little more room to work with, and it's a, a more ergonomic layout. So the crew will be more comfortable and more able to um, access areas of the patient that we can't in our current aircraft. So um, we do believe that this aircraft will really help uh, our clinical team to care for those really sick patients. And that's really a key at the end of it is being able to be comfortable in your work surroundings. If you can actually have room to move around, you're capable of doing that much more and not feeling burdened by your surroundings. Exactly. Um, another um, big advantage of this aircraft is uh, it's, it's smoother, so there's less vibration, and it's quieter, so the uh, crew can work in a, a much more controlled environment. Uh, it's got a better heater, uh, air conditioning, so the patient will be much more comfortable in different uh, weather extremes as well. Is there a need for more uh, helicopters down the road? How many do we have in operation now, and sort of where do we go from here? So I am in Fort Erie, Ontario right now at Airbus Helicopters Canada, taking delivery of our first two uh, new H145s. Um, we have purchased three, and uh, that was... Um, in advance of uh, a major capital campaign that we're just about to begin. There's uh, going to be a lot more um, news on that uh, coming up shortly. Um, we are going to need uh, five of these helicopters to serve Alberta. And um, we've got the first two coming to Calgary. And um, we're going to need uh, many, many more. Out of curiosity, what happens to the old ones? 
So the old ones are still going to remain in service at the bases that aren't getting the new ones right away. And then over time, as we replace them with the new aircraft, um, they'll be sold. And um, in the end, um, that um, the sale will uh, help fund we hope uh, one more helicopter. By the sounds of it, some exciting things happening in your world there, Scott. Thanks for giving us the update on the new STARS helicopter. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Premier Rachel Notley's government promising to continue its work protecting public health care with its signature Bill 1 in the spring sitting. That promise outlined in the throne speech today read aloud by Lieutenant Governor Lois Mitchell starting the legislature session. Now, the question becomes, when's the election? Well, there's doesn't seem to be any real definitive dates yet. But what is definitive is always after a throne speech. Opposition parties get a chance to chime in, and just a couple of minutes ago, uh, UCP leader Jason Kenney took to the stage to uh, talk to reporters about what he saw and what he'd like to see going forward. Let's bring you some of that audio now. Good afternoon. I'll uh, just make a statement about the throne speech, but I'm happy to take your questions. Today's throne speech reveals an NDP government that is completely out of touch with the economic reality facing Albertans. Alberta is in a jobs crisis. 183,000 Albertans are unemployed. That's 43,000 more people out of work than when the NDP came to office. 48,000 full-time jobs have been lost in the last four years alone. Unemployment has gone up in seven of the past nine months to the highest jobless rate outside of Atlantic Canada. Calgary has the highest level of unemployment of any Canadian city, and Edmonton, the third highest. Tens of thousands of Albertans have given up looking for work, and employment for young Alberta men in particular is at its lowest level in statistical history. Average after-tax family incomes are down by a shocking $6,400 per year under the NDP. Our economy is 3.2% smaller than when the NDP came to office. Economists like Trevor Toome are now speculating that we may now be in the NDP's second recession. The NDP is digging us into a $100 billion debt hole. They're spending more in interest on their debt than they are on 19 of the 23 Alberta government departments. And the NDP has the worst economic record of any Alberta government since the Great Depression nine decades ago. Today's throne speech said nothing about this jobs crisis, nothing about this economic crisis, nothing about getting Albertans back to work, and nothing about bringing jobs back to Alberta. It says nothing about about a plan to get pipelines actually built or to stand up for Alberta against their ally Justin Trudeau and the left-wing special interests that are doing everything they can to landlock our resources. In their last speech from the throne, after months of mocking United Conservatives uh, urging them to do so, the NDP triumphantly claimed that they would, quote, turn off the taps to British Columbia uh, if that province's NDP government didn't stop its efforts against the trans pipeline. Well, they never followed through. John Horgan called uh, uh, Premier Notley's bluff, and today the British Columbia New Democrat government is in court arguing still against the Trans Mountain Pipeline and trying to block it. 
On Friday, a U.S. appeals court ruled against the needed Keystone XL pipeline, and Alberta's NDP government has remained silent since. Today's throne speech shows zero recognition of the catastrophic failure of the NDP's political alliance with Justin Trudeau. The NDP opposition to Northern Gateway is one of the reasons that Mr. Trudeau killed him. They told Albert, uh, the NDP told Alberta's representative in Washington to quote, down tools on trying to get approval of Keystone XL. And sure enough, there was a presidential veto, which they did not protest. They did nothing to fight back against the Trudeau government killing Energy East. And now Mr. Trudeau has given up, given us the tanker ban and his no more pipelines law bill C-69. On the issues that matter most to Albertans, this throne speech is silent and this government a complete failure. A failure on jobs, on the economy, on pipelines, and on, and on standing up for Alberta. We need a government that is focused on getting this province back to work, on creating jobs, on building pipelines, and on fighting for Alberta. Instead of bringing back a lame duck session of the legislature, the Premier should stop campaigning at taxpayers' expense, and she should let the people decide. And so I repeat the same call I've been making every day since February the 1st. Stop the charade. Stop hiding from voters. Call the, the election. And let Albertans choose a government that will clean up the NDP's economic mess, uh, stand up for Alberta, and get this province back to work. Happy to take your questions. All right, we will uh, we'll hold her there because we're running out of time because we got to get to our next segment. But obviously, he's staying on message. The questions will likely uh, surround not only the throne speech but everything that's happened over the last little while. Uh, stay tuned through the for the news through the course of the evening for more. We'll have more obviously in the global news hour at six, and we'll dissect some of the questions. Uh, brought forward as well through the course of the show tomorrow as well because I, I get the feeling that provincial politics are not an issue that are going to be going away uh, anytime soon. The one thing that I would like to say in all of this is as much as the UCP wants to focus on the economy, I hope at some point we can focus on social issues too. On the flip side, I know the NDP wants to focus on social issues. I would love for them to focus on the economy too. I think we can do both. I really do, and I really hope we decide to focus on both because both are important in the eyes of every Albertan. This isn't an us versus them. This is for all of us. Love this article penned by Annie McInnes. Be a local hero, shop local, help Calgary's economy recover. As we talk about the economy and how to make things go better... If you're going out and spending dollars, why wouldn't you go to something that's more local than going big store or big, uh, the big department stores, that kind of thing? And so I wanted to bring Annie in for a little bit more context here. Annie, thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for having me. I took your letter today as a bit of a challenge to Calgarians and Southern Albertans to go back to their community, uh, whether it's their local watering hole or whether it's their cupcake shop or whatever the case may be, and support them. Because that's the only way we're going to be able to get out of this recession, isn't it? 
Absolutely. You know, there's some powerful numbers associated with shopping locally. For every $1 that is spent in a local business, that local business reinvests $6 in the local economy. So this is a way forward. If people would shop a little more locally, a little more mindfully at their local um, small outdoor business districts, Uh, that's a way for us to help the economy recover. What I liked about this is that you're not trying to demonize online shopping. You're not trying to demonize those who don't have that extra couple of bucks to do that local shopping, but you're trying to open up the conversation because I think there are a lot of people who are sitting there worried about their local small businesses. Absolutely. You know, um, Calgarians in general are, are suffering in this economy, businesses as well as residents. And I get that, you know, money's tight and people are being more mindful. And as a result, people are not eating out as much. They're not shopping as much and they're looking, you know, for the deal. Um, but small businesses employ your neighbors. Um, they employ your friends. Um, the inner city beer, uh, business improvement areas, um, the outdoor shopping district, districts that you love, Kensington and Inglewood and Martaloop and 4th Street and 17th Avenue Southwest and Southeast and, and um, all of the, all of those business improvement areas um you know we we uh, are the jewels of the city we're the places you want to you want to go and spend time and we represent um about uh 3000 businesses and um and about 55000 employees so uh if if the businesses don't survive that's a, a lot more calgarians out of work and so, um, you know, I know people are not going out and not shopping and eating out as much. But when you are, can you think about uh, when you are shopping? Think uh, some of the time if you can shop local. Word of mouth is more important than anything now. If you get a good review, people are going to show up. If you get a bad review, it's it's game over. And so you've got to really be able to put your best foot forward. And when, as a consumer, when you have that good experience, pass that along because it does go have and have that uh, have that ripple effect. Absolutely. And, you know, most small business owners in Calgary pride themselves on the quality of service that they do offer. Uh, because they're small businesses, because a lot of them are owner-operated, um, you, know, you get a level of, of quality and service in those businesses that, um, that you know, you wouldn't necessarily get elsewhere. You know, if, uh, you know, instead of uh, trying on jeans being a nightmare, you can go to a great shop in Kensington, and there's another one in Inglewood, um, where you can walk in and get fitted for a pair of jeans. You'll literally Really tried on three or maybe four pairs of jeans, and you'll walk out with a perfect pair of jeans instead of uh, you know um, a nightmare decision and and feeling bad about yourself before you're done. Um, you know, and and um, you know, I talk about the the salted caramel brownies uh, from Pie Junkie in Kensington, which are my go-to on a stressful day. Um, you know, and I can just walk in, and if they see my face, they're they're setting aside a brownie for me because they know that's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> just what we need to do is talk food as we're going into the supper. Per hour that that's a that's a great segue and i'm pretty sure that a lot of people will be going texting me a little bit later what was the name of that place again those sound delicious so uh again hey you know what the uh the thank you economy in full effect so hopefully uh, hopefully we get a few more people out it's a great right i'll uh, post it up on my social media as well at calgary today on twitter and i'll uh, post a link to uh, to annie's right up there annie thanks so much for joining us this afternoon thank you so much joe Let's turn our attention to it's been a a real serious uh, conversation being had in terms of 
concussions and uh, a couple of different groups getting together to talk things over, especially for our high-end athletes and uh, Canadian Sports Institutes, for example, getting involved. The Canadian Sport Institute here in Calgary, as well as the Benson Concussion Institute, holding an, a media news conference today to talk about some new guidelines for concussion protocols. Joining us now, Dr. Brian Benson. Uh, doctor, thanks so much for uh, joining us. It's a pleasure. At a high level, walk us through what it was you unveiled today. Well, today we released our Canadian Olympic and Paralympics um, Sport Institute Network uh, Sport Concussion Guidelines for High-Performance Athletes. And, and basically, they're, they're guidelines applied to high-performance sports that are evidence-based, um, give some practical pearls, and, and really they try to um, standardize a national process for identifying, assessing, and managing concussion for high-performance athletes. How important is it to make sure that you are addressing the concussion from the moment it occurs to the moment where that athlete is allowed back to train or to compete or to get back involved in their sport? Yeah, it's critical to get at these from the onset. Um, certainly, the recognition is the big thing. And if it's recognized or suspected, that immediate assessment um, should should ensue. Um, the importance of that is is all these high performance athletes are driven and they want to return to sport quickly to their high risk training and competitions. So if we can get at them early, um, start initiating some targeted rehabilitation strategies and and try to accelerate this recovery process by following them, following them and monitoring them regularly, it can only enhance recovery process and uh, for a timely return to sport. Looking through the guidelines, what really struck me was sort of the idea that, hey, this needs to be as much as they are guidelines. At the same time, everybody is going to be different. Every concussion is going to be different. Every circumstance is going to be different. And so everything needs to be tailor-made for each individual athlete. Oh, that's that's absolutely correct. It's such a diffuse injury, and and each athlete's unique. They have a different set of physical and cognitive attributes that that can affect their response to a concussive injury. So we really try to get to know them in the preseason, um, pre-competition period by by doing some healthy baseline assessments, getting to know their history of previous concussions and and other important pertinent medical information. Then we do some comprehensive assessments that try to hit different aspects of the brain. Once we know them in a healthy state, if they do get concussed, we can really target individualized treatment strategies to the, not only to the the brain injury itself, but to, to certain things that can coexist or get in the way with concussion recovery, like neck injuries or vision or vestibular issues sleep-wake cycles. So it, it does allow us to be more precise with our management recommendations. The other thing that I really noticed too was that the discussion is happening, the conversation is happening, which is really important in terms of making sure that the athletes are all aware of what the, uh, what the guidelines indicate and what the processes are so that they can not only be ready for it when it happens, but also maybe take a few pointers to learn how to uh, protect themselves from getting a concussion in the first place. 
Yeah, that's, that's, that's so true. The education is, is a key component process because when they're injured, they're in that anxiety state. And if they know ahead of time what the process is, that we're all working together as a multidisciplinary team to enhance the recovery and get them back in a safe and responsible manner, then it can lessen their anxiety towards this injury and know we're doing everything we can to to try to get them back um, at the most reasonable but uh, quickest manner. Talk about the idea of reviewing these guidelines, reviewing these processes and making sure that we stay on top of this because it seems as though it is an ever-evolving issue surrounding all sports. Yeah, absolutely. It's especially in concussion now that all the research and the evidence is evolving. This, these guidelines are an evolving document. They will be updated um, on an annual basis with any new scientific or medical evidence and, and, and also any experiences gained through the, through the, um, implementation of the protocols. Research is, is really in its infancy. There's still a lot we don't know about concussion and we're getting better, trying to get more objective and precise with measuring neurologic impairments. But it's going to be an ongoing process and to advance the guidelines with the clinical experiences and evidence as it comes out. Dr. Benson, I wanted to continue the discussion on the international stage. How do your guidelines that were released today uh, compared to those on the international stage, are we going to have to go uh, above and beyond for the sake of international gameplay, or are our athletes going to need uh, to train somewhere along the same same lines or change change routes in a sense uh, if they have to go to international competitions when it comes to concussions? Yeah, so certainly they, these guidelines are based on on international consensus statements of the most recent 2016 in Berlin um, and the foundation of Parish of Canada is laid. So they are evidence-based um, and, and evidence, as we discussed, is certainly evolving. So these are um, targeted to high-performance athletes with a multidisciplinary team of healthcare professionals readily available to manage them. So they are high-performance. They are um, elite guidelines, but um, certainly they meet the international uh, recommendations. How much do you hope that these kinds of guidelines will help maybe guide younger athletic associations and organizations so they've got something to look at and go, okay, if they're doing it, we should be preparing our kids for that if we are training them to become those high-performance athletes down the road? Yeah, that's critically important. So so I, I think, yes, all the, these guidelines such as this, trying to enhance the clinical care um, and get objective where the results should transpire. The goal is for the grassroots level coming down. The problem is just in the grassroots level, they don't have that team of multidisciplinary professionals mm-hmm. readily available to them. So some of these guidelines in terms of intense baseline or preseason healthy assessments may be difficult to implement with um, with proper qualified healthcare per, uh, personnel. So certainly we want the principles to transcend down to the grassroots, um, but there can be some difficulties in implementing such a process to the masses. How important is the conversation going to be in your eyes over the next 6 to 12 months to make sure these guidelines are being adhered to and that everybody is all on the same page? Yeah, these guidelines are certainly meant to, to provide the national sport organizations a, a, a template or, or guidelines that they can apply to their own unique or individual situations. So they're not meant to um, 
to, to be a policing document to ensure they're meeting the, the minimum standard, but it's it's certainly given them the tools based on the evidence and then applying it to high performance sport where they can they can um, use these tools to, to make it best to suit their individual needs. It's a great conversation to have, especially timely given how you look at uh, how it's being, it's having a conversation uh, all across the board and at the professional level as well. So, uh, Dr. Benson, thank you so much for giving us a little bit more insight into the guidelines that you uh, came up with and, and introduced to the sporting world here in Canada earlier today. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. So that's that conversation. Hey, let's do this again tomorrow, shall we? Craziness today. Who knows what tomorrow will bring? Thank you so much for downloading today's podcast. Do me a huge favor and leave a rating and a comment. And you can always hit me up on Twitter as well. Just follow me at Calgary Today.